Bibles this morning and uh, go to 2 Samuel chapter 16. While we were at, while we were at Lake of the Ozarks, and um, the guys with the different classes and different things that they offered there, just to go and do, and some of it had to do with guns and conceal and carry, and some of it had to do with cooking outdoors, and some had to do with fishing, and others had to do with finance, others had to do with a variety of things. You could go and kind of pick what you wanted to go. And um, I talked to our men's director or men's representative in the state um, last year. It never happened last year, but it did happen this year. And I talked to him about dealing with addictions. And, uh, and so we did, he allowed me to have the uh, tabernacle, and we had um, an open thing about dealing. He called it dealing with recovery, and, and I know that that's... Um, celebrate recovery and those type of things I understand but I wanted to put down dealing with addictions because addictions are something that uh, every one of us to some degree have had to deal with in our lives regardless of what it is you may always instantly go to something horrible addictions are not always something horrible but there's something controlling uh, an addiction of a husband who controls his wife that she can't get on the phone, she can't go get in the car, she can't go outside. That's an addiction he has about control. And, and we could just go on and on. But one of the things that I will say that, that I dealt with, with the first group especially, we had probably 25, maybe more than that in the first group that I met with. And these guys were coming and some of them were, uh, were used to be drug addicts, alcoholics, uh, in and out of prison, a whole lot of things they had experienced. And but the thing that I want to bring your attention is that there were some dads there. And there's one dad in particular, he was um, um, dealing with two sons, and both of them were heroin addicts. And, and he was thinking, oh, what did I do wrong? What went wrong in our life? Why did they end up the way they have and, and different things? And so, you know, that's kind of where this message is going, not with addictions and not with dealing with addictions, but, but dealing with discouragement. Because each and every one of us deal with discouragement at some point in your life. And uh, it's just the way life is. Things, things are discouraging. Things get heavy. And, and, um, and especially things for men get discouraging because it's things we can't fix sometimes, even though it's not our fault. And this guy was, he just needed to hear somebody else who had been through what he's been through and what he's going through uh, about the addictions of life and, and his kids that he didn't understand. He didn't know how to help. And so I said, back off. Don't give them money. You know, don't provide anything for them. Uh, they need to, they need to. Dude, this is kind of harsh, and a lot of people don't like it. They need to have their, their backside arrested and thrown in jail. That's exactly what needs to happen. And uh, many times in their life, because it actually will get their attention. We talked about a variety of things, but the thing that I've seen mostly in this time with several of these dads it was absolute discouragement. And regardless of who you are and, and where you are in life, there are times in our life that we deal with this. We may get discouraged with others, we may get discouraged with family, we may even get discouraged with self. But let me tell you, there's times that things happen and we don't always know the particulars but how we deal with the discouragement and how we deal with the, the dilemma that we're in the middle of is so important and I'd like you to go to second Samuel chapter 16 and verse 5 but when King David came to you know just try to figure these out with me Bahurim behold thence there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul whose name was Shimei thus the son of Gerar and he came forth and he cursed still as he came and as he and then he cast stones at David, 
And all the servants of the king and all the people and all the mighty men were on, the right, on his right hand and on his left hand. And thus, <clears throat> and thus said Shimei when he cursed, Come out, come out, thou bloody man, thou man of Belial. The Lord hath returned upon thee all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose steed thou hast reigned. And the Lord hath delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom. And behold, thou art, a, thou art taken in thy mischief, because thou art a bloody man. Then said Abishai, the son of Zeriah, unto the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over, I pray thee, and I will take off his head. And the king said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zeriah? So let him curse, because the Lord hath given him, has said unto him, Curse David, possibly. Who shall then say, Wherefore hast thou done so? And David said to Abishai and to all his servants, Behold, my son, which came forth of my bowels, seeketh my life, and how much more now may this Benjamite do it? Let him alone, and let him curse, for the Lord hath bidden him. And it may be that the Lord will look on my affliction, and the Lord will, will requite me for the good of his cursing this day. And David and his men went by the way, and Shimei went along the hillside over against him, and he cursed him as he went, and he threw stones at him, and he cast dust. Wow, this dude was ticked off. This guy was angry. And let me tell you what was going on in this whole scenario. I'll give you a little history. We know what David had done in his past. We know his failure. We know where he, he came short. We know he went up on the roof at the time the armies went out to battle and, and things went on. And, and here we have years later, some things are going on and Absalom's trying to rise to power. He's trying to take authority away from, from his dad and he wants to be the one that everybody goes to. And, and so what's happened is there's been a power shift with some of the people. And this guy who was a descendant of the house of Saul was jealous that the kingdom was not still in Saul's hand. So let's go a little farther. He also knew that David was a bloody man. And how was David a bloody man? He was a bloody man because he took the life of Uriah the Hittite, the husband of Bathsheba. And so he was bringing up, now stay with me, he was bringing up the past of David and flaunting it in front of everybody saying that he is not valid. There was nothing in him that's worth respecting. No one should be following you as king. My opinion is you need to be removed. And someone else needs to be in your seat. And we believe it's Absalom because Absalom looked apart. He seemed apart. He was a good-looking guy. And, and, and all the things about him, I think he was masculine. and He had really thick, beautiful hair and all the things that people were kind of lured to at this time. He was youthful. He was no longer in his midlife. He was a young guy. And so he was inspiring. And so there was something going on. The Shimei guy was, was bold. If we, as you go back and read the things we just talked about, if somebody came out to you and began to curse you and tell you how sorry you are because of your past and how terrible you are because of your past and they think you're still exactly the way you used to be because of your past, guess what? You're going to respond one of two ways. You're going to either go over and knock their head off or you're going to just let them talk. You're going to let them say whatever they want to say because you're going to hold to the grace that God has given you to be in that place. And that's what was going on with David. He was at a place that he said, you know what? Yeah, I can tell you to go over and chop his head off. But do you remember there was something about the integrity of David even as a young man? Do you remember when he first could have come into the kingdom and he was back in the cave with his 50 men or 300 men? He was back in there and Saul and all of his army were on the front part of the cave. And they snuck out through the night and he cut a little bit of robe, the robe off of Saul. And he went out a few hundred yards and began to yell and said, Saul, 
You've tried to kill me this many times, but I'm going to leave this remnant of what I've cut off. I'm going to show you I could have took your life, but I didn't. There was something about David all of his life, regardless of his shortcomings and his failures, there was something unique about him. And the thing that he found out is that God is a God of grace. God isn't always willing just to kick us to the side, regardless of the accusations, regardless of where we may be. And discouragement was there. Obviously, David was discouraged. But he backed off and he said, maybe God is allowing him to say these things to get my attention. Maybe I need to hear the things that he's saying to me. Maybe I need to be challenged or scolded. Maybe that's the issue behind this. Why not you look what happened in verse 14? How many of y'all can, what's your vision of Shimei? I vision a little gray-headed dude kicking, spitting, throwing rocks. I think he got over and started picking up dust and throwing it just because he was so full of hatred toward David. But look in verse 14. And the king and all the people that were with him came weary, and they refreshed themselves there. There is refreshing anytime we allow the presence of the Lord begin to refresh us. Even when we don't understand, even when things are hard and things are intense, there is a refreshing that takes place. When did David, re- why did he respond the way he did? Because David knew that somebody wanted to kill him and he wasn't going to allow it. The end result is there is refreshing. One of the greatest things, one of the greatest commodities that we have is time. And I think that was what was so critical about the life of David. He said, you know what, I'm going to give this some time for this to calm down. I don't know the end of Shimei, I didn't study it, how long he lived or judgment came upon him. But I do know this, in the midst of discouragement, David could have responded wrongly. But he didn't. And every one of us have been there. As I was opening the story about talking to these men, I cannot tell you how many years I have been praying for our kids. Over a decade over a decade, for about 12 years, I prayed for the oldest. For about 12 years. For about five years until our daughter got into the troubleshooting, but then she began to embrace Christ. And let me tell you, there was a lot of times discouragement became overwhelming. It never altered our faith. It never altered our commitment to Him, but it sure altered our life. It was sure frustrating. And in life, when things happen that we don't understand and the discouragement begins to set in, you've got to be extremely careful. You have to be. David used wisdom, and he entered into a place of refreshment. One of the things I, I shared with the men there, you've got to give it time. You cannot fix them. You cannot, but you can pray for them. I'm going to throw this in. You know, my favorite chapter, if you've been here very long, is I talk about Luke 15 all the time because of the prodigals and his father and the importance of the father's intercession on behalf of his son. In Scripture, we know that the day that the prodigal came home, the father never once left the house looking for him. We don't see that. But we've seen that the father was ever looking for his son to return. Always looking, always waiting. And I believe every day he went out expecting. And stay with me. Don't ever quit expecting One of the biggest things that happens in our life that destroys us is when we get discouraged, we quit expecting. We just want to quit. We want to get discouraged and just begin to fall apart. That's not the deal. That man went out every day and began to watch for that son that was lost that he would begin to come back. You women, you need to anticipate the same for your husbands. You husbands need to anticipate the same for your wives. You keep expecting. You keep believing. Those of you who have children that are not here or not serving the Lord and wherever they live or wherever they go to church or if they don't even go, you are the intercessor. You are the one that makes the difference. And regardless of how discouraged you may get, 
on behalf of their actions and their behavior and the things they do. Friend, you are their source. You are the only one that can make the difference. Nobody could pray for our kids the way we did. Nobody could feel the discouragement we had about our kids like we did. And I know many of you prayed, and, and I've had a lot of people say, I've prayed for them for years, and I know that. But there was something different when you're the one in the midst of the battle, that you're the one that stands, you're the one that doesn't allow discouragement to overtake you. You begin to battle and you push on the first year, the second year, the third year, the fourth year, the fifth year. I can count all the way to 12. Did you go to 9, 10, 11, and 12? My wife and I have shared this with different ones. We've had more answers in our life in the last year and a half, two years. From Layton to Atlanta to Tyson. Easy, not a bit. Discouraged all the time. All the time. There were times that we'd get up to preach. You had no idea what I went through the night before. You have no idea. You have no idea what we went through the night before. And I'm not saying that for whatever reason, but I didn't want you to know. I was always candid and open about things that happened that were discouraging. But friend, discouragement will come. It will, some of you are in the middle of it right now. You are in the middle of it. You're about neck deep in it. And friend, if you don't keep your faith where it needs to be, you will drown. Family, issues, things. You may look at your own life at times, oh, I'm so discouraged with my own life. Friend, you're the one. Begin to make the decisions that are right. When the Lord begins to deal with your heart, and let me just stop here. In a few minutes, we're going to ask him to come back up. I know what's written on my hand. It was just revealed to me. I want you to play unstoppable when you come back up. Unstoppable God, the one that you've done, second or third or fifth, whichever one it was. That's what I want you to play because when we close this service, I'm going to ask you to respond. Not respond to me, but I'm going to ask you to respond to him. Because sometimes we think that he is stoppable or things are impossible. Now, folks, I know what loss is like. I know what it is to, to have extreme loss. I don't mean disappointment. I mean extreme loss. I know what that is like too. And sometimes we don't always understand that, but I know this. You never quit expecting. You never quit believing. Promises still come to pass. Go to the book of Joshua, if you will. My voice is a little bit gone, um, maybe from singing, um, maybe from laughing. Uh, I'll tell you this, it's amazing how much fun you can have with a bunch of, of good godly guys. Absolutely amazing. And um, if you don't go next year, you're not going to get to go. That's it. That's all I can tell you. But you need to go if possible. It was just, it was a great experience. I like to go to Joshua chapter 6 because there's some things to be aware of in the midst of discouragement, even when you're pressing in, even when you're believing. But promises still come true. Promises still come to pass. Don't stop. Don't base everything on what you see. Begin to base it on what your faith tells you. And Joshua chapter 6 and verse 10 says, And Joshua had commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout, nor make any noise with your voice, neither shall any word proceed out of your mouth until the day that I, t I bid you to shout. Then you shall shout. Go to verse 14. And the second day they can pass the city once. And returned to the camp. So they did six days. And it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose up about the dawning of the day. And they can pass the city after about the same manner seven times. And only on that day they can pass the city seven times. Sixteen. 
And it came to pass at the seventh time when the priests blew the trumpets, Joshua said unto the people, Shout, for the Lord had given you the city. And I want to stop here for a minute. I didn't read it, but if you'll read the earlier parts of that chapter, it wasn't just the priests walking along with their horns. They were walking with the Ark of the Covenant on poles, and they carried it. Four priests would carry it, two in the front, two in the back, and they had eyelets on both ends for a rod to go through, and they carried this presence of the Lord. Scripture says the presence of the Lord rested between the wings of the cherubs on this ark. That was his presence. Now, here's the deal. They were walking and trying to overcome a city that was fortified with around 40-foot thick walls. Jericho was unpenetrable unless you, you got a hold of Rahab the harlot and she let down a rope and she let you in because she was a harlot. That's how they got in and spied it out. But in the midst of going around this, this building, it was impossible and I don't know how much unbelief was in the crowd, but I can tell you this, there's unbelief here this morning. There's doubt in this room here this morning. And if we had three to four million of us, there would be a lot of probably things going through the mind while you're walking. Like, oh my goodness, I just stumped my toe on a rock. Why are we doing this? This is so stupid. Why are we walking around Jericho in their mind because they weren't allowed to talk? And can you can just imagine how the unbelief and things began to dwell. But the thing that was unique about them is that the presence of the Lord is what broke through and that's what they began to follow. And in your life and mine, that's the same place we have to be. So you let the presence of the Lord lead and you stay in His presence. Often it's routine that gets unfulfilling. Often it's a routine that gets unfulfilling. And I think the first day they went and marched around it, they thought, wow, here we go, nothing happened. The second day of the routine, nothing happened. The third day of the routine, nothing happened. You know where I'm going. The seventh day is when the routine even got more intense and they walked seven times. But it was because of the routine and faith that everything changed. The walls began to crumble, crumble, and you can see what happened. Everything changed all of a sudden. I don't know the details of how it crumbled, and I don't have to understand. I just know that because of obedience and the presence of the Lord, it fell. But here's the deal. A great victory comes. And in your life, maybe you've experienced a great victory. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. Maybe you've experienced a great, a great victory. I, know, I don't know how long they came down there ago, but we're going to try to get to the altar time. A great victory was there, and you experienced something that was really amazing. But I want you to be aware of something in your life, and I want everybody to kind of stay with me on this, last, on this next to last part. Every time you have great victory, you have to be aware because compromise is so easy to fall back into. For whatever reason in your mind, you can begin to think, I can just, I can get back in, I can, I can restore it. There are times, and there are consequences in our life sometimes, that are irreparable if we enter into sin. Chapter 1, I mean chapter 7 and verse 1 says, But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. They were not supposed to take anything out of this city that is gold, nothing of any well, of any raiment, no animals, nothing. We're all supposed to go to the Lord. A trespass in the accursed thing. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zibdi, this, it doesn't matter, and he took of the accused thing, a cursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. Let me tell you how important it is your role is. I want everybody to look at me. Your role is the most important role. Who you are in the leader of your house, who you are in the leader of this, this thing that you're praying and believing God for, you're the key. You're the key. Because if you begin to compromise and you allow things into your life, it'll hinder everything else that God's trying to do. If you read on this story, one man's sin brought death to 30-something people. Why? Because of disobedience. When you're believing God for a miracle, don't lower your standards. 
Don't you dare back down. You begin to believe God for things that you never thought possible, even more so. Don't allow the enemy to creep in. And the last place I like to go is in 1 Kings and chapter 18. Just play your piano. Give me a little noise. That's it. That's a good note right there. That sounds like a C or an E or something. All right. 1 Kings chapter 18. A very famous chapter. Um, 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 41. And Elijah said unto Ahab, Get thee up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. Now, I'm going to stop here for a minute because everything that he just said was completely in faith. Some of you look at your kids, and when you get up in the morning, you say, Father, so-and-so better get ready because I hear the abundance of rain. And I believe that something's about to take place in their life. I'm believing for a miracle in the midst of this thing that I've been praying for for years. Lord, it's time for it to change. Because what had happened, three and a half years of drought had been going on, and everybody was miserable. And, And Elijah just killed 450 prophets of Baal put a sword in her stomach and ripped them open and killed them, and that's kind of gross and whatever, but that's what happened. And so at the end of all this great miracle of the spiritual, supernatural, God brings fire from heaven, consumes the altar, the water, everything that's there. All of a sudden, in verse 41, everything changes. The whole, and let me tell you this. What's so cool about a miracle is that the whole environment changes. Whenever you came to Christ, this is something that Bobby said several times. He said, man, I didn't even notice a lot of things in my life that changed. But when a miracle takes place in a life and things begin to change, the whole environment begins to change. The whole attitude begins to change. And what happened here is he just went from this, all of this conflict and this, cut yourself, pray for your God to bring fire from heaven and it never happened. And he simply prayed, Father, I ask you to pour out your fire and take up this offering. Let it be pleasing to you. And the fire of heaven came, consumed it up. And immediately the atmosphere changed. The attitude changed. Everything that he, that he had been believing God for changed. Verse 41. And Elijah said unto Ahab, Get thee up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. They were about 30 miles from home where they were on the sacrificial mountain. And Ahab went up to eat and drink. And Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. And he cast himself down upon the earth. And he put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, Go up and look. Look toward the sea. And he went up and he looked, and there is nothing, he said. And he said, go again seven times. Here's the thing. Elijah was believing for something supernatural. And he knew that only God could bring it. And he was the same God that he asked him to not let it rain for three and a half years. And now the whole atmosphere is changing. This judgment came against this false doctrine, this Baal, the people that, that worship Baal. And, and all of a sudden this atmosphere changed. And he says, get ready to run because rain's coming. It wasn't raining yet. The miracle hasn't happened yet. What you're believing for hasn't happened yet, but you keep praying. You keep believing. You keep setting time aside specifically for this issue, whether it's finances or healing or a lost loved one or whatever it is that has you upside down at the moment. You begin to see God on behalf of whatever it goes on around you. And every time he sent his servant, he would come back and say, nope, nope, until the seventh time. And I know there's a lot of unique things about seven. And it came to pass on the seventh time that he said, Behold, there ariseth a humongous cloud out on the sea. If you have your Bibles, you know that's not what it says. It says there's a little cloud. 
Isn't it amazing? We begin to see the domino effect of prayer. We begin to see the domino effect of something small. It goes from this to this to this. You all have no idea the little stories, guys. I mean, you ain't going to believe what happened. So-and-so, this kid is coming home, or this kid just called me, or this one just messaged. During this men's two-day retreat, I heard story after story of the faithfulness of God and things that was unexpected. Why? Because when we begin to believe, the dominoes begin to fall. You see, the discouragement can only last so long in the life of a believer that we begin to see the answers come. We begin to see the miraculous works of God and things that we can't do, we can't fix. But it's amazing what he can do. Maybe you're here this morning. You can read the rest of the story. The rain came, and it rained hard, and it restored all the water that was needed in that area. The other thing that's amazing, when you begin to pray for others, when you begin to believe for others, something supernatural begins to happen to you. When Elijah began to believe God and seek God on behalf of the needs of the people, God began to equip him with something that was supernatural as well. You can read it. said he girded up his loins, tucked up his coat, his jacket, dress, skirt, whatever he had. He tucked it up, and he ran in front of the chariot between 20 to 30 miles. Why? Because when we begin to believe for others, God begins to bring things back. There is great reward in seeing the hand of God in the midst of your life. There are so many of you here, dude, if I start calling your names, it would take forever that I see nothing more but the, but the miraculous works of an almighty God working in your life. Nothing any greater. You remember those times when you were discouraged. You remember those times when you wanted to die. Matter of fact, you tried to die. You were so discouraged with life and it was not worth living anymore. But all of a sudden the Lord begins to show up and he begins to stir your heart because somebody's been interceding on behalf of you. Friend, God wants us to see the miraculous. He wants us to experience the things that only He can bring to pass. So I'm going to ask you this morning. I mean, I'll come and pray with you. We're going to ask other people to come and agree with you in prayer. But you, if you are in the midst of things that are discouraging and hard and you've been praying, you feel like giving up, you've got lost loved ones that are, that are missing and gone and estranged or spouse or kids or, or scenarios or whatever it may be, I'm telling you, conduct yourself as David. And believe God for justice. God will perform things and do things in your life that only He can do. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to sing this song that I said a few minutes ago. <clears throat> Isn't that the one you sing?